Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We are starting a new series as of today for the next couple of weeks. Christmas Light Series. Hope There we go. Uh, there's our new slides, the new series as we head into Christmas. Uh, and this is an awesome time of the year uh, for most of us. Now, I know in my home, it's a very exciting time of the year. Let me tell you something. Our Christmas tree was up in November. <laughs> my, my wife is a little obsessed with the Christmas tree. Um, so it's been up for a while. And uh, we just, we're loving Christmas. We're in the vibe. So it's all good. Uh, and for those, I know some of you, the last few weeks, I've been here a few times, and you're like, some of you like just met me here in Milton, you're like, do you have a wife? I'm like, yes, I do have a wife. I have a wife. She's here today, which is really cool. Uh, so thanks for joining me today, love. It's good. So today we are going to preach, I'm going to preach, a sermon called, Call Me Joe. And I know some of you serious note-takers are going, how on earth can a sermon be called, Call Me Joe? How am I supposed, what am I supposed to do with that? Trust me, just write it down, call me Joe, and everything will be just fine. We'll work that out. So I get the privilege of preaching and, and being with you guys today. I'm going to preach this sermon next week at Table View. I'm just letting you know. So some of you might have thought, hey, you know what, I'm going to get a Table View next week. Maybe don't. Stay here, because <laughs> you will be hit with the exact same message. Um, so just, it's a warning, it's a pre-warning. Uh, but before I get going, Gabriel and Fiona send their love. I chatted to them last night. They are having good times. Good times and derbs. They've been to the bush. They've been uh, to game farms and all this stuff. They've been spoiled while they've been there. Been on the beach. Uh, he's been lathering up with the uh, sunscreen. Um, but they miss you guys. I love you guys. And uh, they can't wait to be back. They'll be back this week, which is cool. So keep them in your prayers. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to a blank page. Check out your look at me. Like, what? One, there's a blank page in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Turn to that blank page for me. We're going to spend some time there. There's a lot of information. Yeah, Rob on his iPhone, very clever, coming with his Bible on his iPhone this morning. But if you, uh, there's some pages rusting, so it's good. I'll show you. I'm going to give you some context this morning about that blank page. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah? Awesome. So, before we read the word this morning, it's important that we understand some history. Who enjoys history? Not a lot of hands. Let me just tell you this. There's going to be no tests. You're, going to have to, you're not going to have to remember any dates or any names, so you're fine. Relax. We're going to make history fun this morning. It's important for us to understand some context sometimes. And as I say that, I just, Jono, it's good to see you, buddy. You guys don't know Jono, I'll introduce you to him afterwards. Um, Good to have you here. It's it's important for us to understand history and to understand context, especially when it comes to the Bible. And especially as we're going to read from chapter 1 of Matthew this morning. So let's quickly do some history. Is that cool? So you're at that blank page. Yes, I can see you're confused there, Brittany. That blank page, I want you there. Because that blank page represents about 400 years. Cool, eh? So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have about 400 years in time. 
The last book of the Old Testament is a book called Malachi. And for those of you who really are Bible scholars, in terms of history, in terms of chronology, the actual last book of the Old Testament is not Malachi. Do you know what it is? It's actually Nehemiah. So the end of Nehemiah is actually the end of the Old Testament. But what happens is the guys, the scholars who put the Bible together, we now have a number of books after Nehemiah. But don't let that stress you out. We'll work with Malachi. Malachi was a prophet that did prophesy at that, that time period, towards the end of the Old Testament. So what happens during that time? At the end of the Old Testament, the Israelites are allowed back into the Promised Land because they had been in exile. Okay? They had been in exile uh, with the Babylonians. The Babylonians had conquered them and taken them off. Then the Persians had come into power and uh, overthrown the Babylonians, and now the Persians were the dominant power of the time. And they changed the laws a little bit. They said, actually, you Israelites, we're going to allow you back into your promised land. So off you go. Maybe they didn't like them and said, uh, go back to your promised land. But they still ruled. So the Israelites are now back in Israel. And after a number of years, the Greeks come to power. Yeah? And the Greeks come and the historians. Who was the famous Greek general who was really well known in battle at that time? Give me a name. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was an amazing, amazing man of battle, an amazing general, and the Greeks sweep to power. And, but he, 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 was a, he was a decent man in that he didn't oppress the Israelites. Okay, So they ruled, but they weren't oppressed. But what happens is Alexander the Great dies very young. Age of 33, he dies. And what happens then is uh, he didn't have an heir, by the way, so he died very young. I don't think he was planning on it, so he hadn't kind of taken care of that side of business, and there was no heir to his throne, effectively. So what happens then is, effectively, that part of the world is split up into four different regions, okay? What's important to understand here is that what I'm telling you now is not recorded in the Bible. But what was recorded in the Bible, in the, in the book of Daniel, was prophecy, Daniel prophesied about those times, about those 400 years that would take place, and he prophesied about these kingdoms, about the rise and fall of these kingdoms. What's really, and this, uh, God, God, oh, he blows my mind with this stuff. Because I'm one of those people, I'm going to be honest with you, I need things to make sense. Ask my wife. I need things to make sense. I need facts, I need figures, I need the exact time. That stuff, that's how my world works. I need things to work that way. So sometimes when I read the Word of God, it's challenging because God doesn't quite deal with us that way. So I've had to make the pledge. And I remember being a very young Christian and saying to God, you know what, I don't, necessarily, I don't understand everything that's in this book. But I'm going to do the following. I will first say yes and believe, and then we can work things out as we go along. And hopefully He will reveal some of these things to me and to us. But who knows, maybe only much later on. But what God does is, during these 400 years, he gets Daniel to prophesy what's going to happen, and then he gets a whole bunch of other historians to record what actually happens, and he lets us figure it out for, himself, for ourselves. So it's not in the Bible, but historians have recorded what happened during that time, and if you go and read the book of Daniel, your mind will be blown, because he prophesied these things. Getting back to our history lesson. What happens now is effectively there are two, two generals that uh, kind of rule that part of the world, one in the north and one in the south. The guy in the north, Antiochus, let's just go with that, I'm not going to read his second name because I, I will stumble and it will come out 
and it sounds rude. I tried, I practiced it yesterday, it didn't work. So I better stick with the first one. Okay. No, I'm <laughs> not. Um, it's being recorded, rather. Um, so Antiochus, he comes to power, he overthrows the guy in the south. Antiochus, actually, what the historian, the historians at the time, they refer to him as the Antichrist of the time. Antiochus is a terrible, terrible man. He imposes what they call um, paganism, imperial paganism on the Israelites, on the Jews. So everything that's custom to the Jews, he says, is now a crime. So sacrifices in the temple, reading the Torah, all those things are now officially a crime. He does a number of despicable things, and I'm not going to get into all that. You can read it in the history books. But what happens eventually... The Israelites start to fight back. So there's a, there's a lot of guerrilla warfare, a lot of civil warfare. It's ugly, it's messy. But eventually the Israelites overthrow this terrible, terrible leader. And for the first time in almost 500 years, the Israelites have the opportunity to restore the Davidic kingship. So what I mean by that is the line of David, the kingship of David, they now have the opportunity to restore that. There is an heir to the throne. They know who he is. They have the ability to put him on the throne. They choose not to. So the guys that were sort of the generals, the leaders of the guerrilla warfare for the, the Israelites, they start to rule. And guess what? A lot of, some of them weren't good guys. Some of them were bad and made some agreements with other nations, with other powers that would come back to haunt them. And one of the guys made an agreement with Rome. And that agreement was, if we were ever in trouble, Rome, come and help us. Come and fight and, and, and defend us. Well, Rome do that, but they don't necessarily defend the Israelites. They come in and they become the dominant power and they overthrow everything and they rule. So that is where we end up. The Old Testament ends. Israel is weak. Israel is wounded. But they're united. You can read that in the book of Nehemiah. 400 years onwards, we land into the New Testament. It's a completely different world. Rome is now the dominant power. Power has shifted from the east to the west. So Persia, Babylon, that was the east. It's gone across to the west, which is now in Rome. Palestine is the puppet state. They're being thrown left, right, and center. But guess what? There's a king on the throne. But he's the wrong king. His name is Herod. And guess what? He is not from the line or the descendant of David. He is a descendant of Esau. So go way back into the Bible. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was a, was, David was a descendant of Jacob, not Esau. Herod is a descendant of Esau, and he sits on the throne. Furthermore, the high priests are not of the line of Aaron. They also needed to be descendants of Aaron. Guess what? They are not. The high priests in Israel now are political figures. You actually, they were, buy, they were selling the, the position of high priest. And so whoever was the most powerful at the time would buy that position and would become high priest. This is now the world that Jesus enters into. Effectively, the Israelites are a mess. There is no longer, they have not regained sovereign ruling of their nation. The word of God was rare. We have hyper-religion. I call it hyper-religion. Because within the Israelites, within, within the Jewish nation, uh, uprises something, a, a, a um, oh, what's the word? But a group of people called the Pharisees who are hyper, hyper religious. And it's all exterior. Yeah, because behind the scenes, it's all about power and money and politics. But in front, it's about 
religion. The people who have been waiting for the Messiah have probably given up. I think they've just said this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen in our lifetime. We're just going to have to live with what we've got. Interesting at the time is that over in the East, they were also starting to struggle with what they'd been living with. Paganism, their religions, it just was not working. And so when we see Jesus being born, you'll, you'll, hear about, you'll know the story, you'll hear about it, of the three wise men who come to see Jesus in a hope for something better, in a hope for something more. Relationship between God and man had grown cold. And hence the term 400 years of silence. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Jesus named him, uh, Joseph named him Jesus. The faux pas you make when you're preaching. That piece of scripture I've read many, many times. I think even if you um, or don't go to church much, if you don't read the Bible much, you would be fairly familiar with that piece of scripture. It is a profound piece of scripture. And what I want to do this morning is I want us to look between the lines. So you know what I love about the Bible and, and about the way the Bible is written is that what God does is he doesn't give us everything. You know, he doesn't give us every last piece of detail because he wants us to figure it out. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to use imagination and understand what kind of went on in between verses. So I'm going to paint a scenario for you this morning. Please understand, what we're doing is we're just we're imagining what happened in the background. We're not changing scripture, we're not altering anything, so it's all okay, you can relax. So, verse 18, I hope my slide is up, next slide. Verse 18, we find out that Mary is pregnant. Next slide. There we go. Mary is pregnant. Verse 19, we're told Joseph is going to call off the engagement. Something drastic has happened between verse 18 and verse 19. He has now found out that she is pregnant. That could have happened a number of ways, but someone told him. I, my personal feeling is that Mary told him that she's pregnant. 
The angel of the Lord did not visit Joseph to tell him. The angel comes later. So I'm going to paint a scenario for you of how this potentially could have happened. So Mary would have got a message to Joseph to say, and in my mind, I figure it out as the four words that men dread the most. Do you know what those four words are, ladies? We need to talk. If you want to freak your guy out, send him a WhatsApp and say, we need to talk. And then go offline until you meet later on. <clears throat> he will flip his mind. It just, it'll, it'll be nuts, okay? So she gets the message to him that they need to talk. And so he gathers that something is not right. Something is up. And I can just picture him. He's walking towards her father's house. She still lives at home. Also remember that Mary is a teenager. There is some debate of how old exactly, but she's a teenager. She's not, a, she's not a, an older woman. She's a teenager. She lives at home still. And so as Joseph approaches, he sees Mary outside the house. I get the impression that Mary was a, she was just a, she was a good girl. She did a chore. She worked hard. Uh, she was always busy. And in this moment, he sees her and he can see she's burdened. There's something weighing heavily heavily on her. And he approaches her and he says, um, what's wrong? And almost like, (laughs) I kind of thought of myself um, in that moment where I've got that message, we need to talk. And during the day, I'm now processing things that I've possibly done wrong over the last little while. And as Joseph approaches her and says, Mary, what's wrong? I can almost sense that he's almost preempting this thing. You know, maybe I forgot to do something Uh, Maybe, actually, I was in the market a couple of days ago. There was a kind of lady who I've known. She kind of, we were chatting, and maybe from a distance, it didn't look kind of, you know, she gave me a peck on the cheek goodbye, and if Mary had seen that, it kind of just might have looked weird. So just all these things that he is processing. And in that moment, she looks up at him, and she says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And I saw this match here this morning, and just you can see this carpet, yeah? This rug. Picture this rug. This is Joseph's world, this rug. And as she says those words, it's like Andrew McPherson. Where's Andrew? He's a big, strong dude. He's standing on this side, and he yanks that rug out from underneath Joseph. And his world falls apart. Have you ever gotten news like that. Maybe, maybe you've received that exact news. Maybe your fiancé has said, I'm pregnant, and you know you're not the father. Maybe you got that knock at the door. You know, it's, you see it a lot in movies. It's the police officer, and there's that terrible news. There's been an accident, and you just know this is awful. My world is falling apart in this moment. Maybe you've receive news that your spouse has had an affair. And in that moment, your world falls apart. That's the surreal moment that Joseph finds himself in in that moment. Also remember that at this time, in this time in history, being pregnant out of wedlock was a problem. It was a massive scandal. It was not something that happened every day. And it would cause shame on everyone concerned. 
So he receives this shock, this blast of Joseph, I'm pregnant. There's this charged silence. And then she probably breaks the silence with the next few words that also drive a man crazy. What I need to tell you next, I don't even know how to say. Because now he's thinking, was it my mate? I mean, is it my best friend? He's in, what, what, just the thoughts that are going through his head, he cannot contain in that moment. You know what's strange, though, is that he looks at this young girl who he is engaged to. She's not crying. She, there is no shame in her eyes. In fact, she's actually talking to him with a certain air of confidence, with a certain air of authority. And those two things just don't add up. Because had she been maybe the girl that enjoyed a little bit of a party, he could kind of make these things work. But she's the opposite. She's not the girl who had some dodgy friends. They went out partying. She got really drunk, and things happened. She's not that kind of girl. She is the opposite of that. And so he can't make these things tie up. She says to him, what I'm going to tell you is difficult to say, but will you hear me out? And he probably kind of half nods. She says to him, I have not been unfaithful to you. Because she knows that's the thing that's driving him mad. That would not help him. Because what are the next thoughts that go through his head? Has my sweet, innocent fiancé been violated in some way? And why won't she tell me? And if she was, surely she'd just be broken right now. She'd be weeping. She'd be full of shame. She tells him. She says, I know how this sounds, but I'm telling you the truth. And then she begins to describe the angelic visit. She begins to describe to him that the angel said that she was to bear a son conceived by the Holy Spirit, who would be called the Son of the Most High, would sit on David's throne forever. Effectively, God is the baby's father. Mary was pregnant with the Messiah. I reckon that that stuff, he would not know where that thing would land. In his mind, they were just... That. And in fact, maybe his attitude would just completely change now. And actually, he'd maybe get a bit stroppy. Because now it's like, you're telling me you're pregnant, and now you're giving me the story about uh, immaculate conception. No way. I'm out of here. So, you know, I can just... <laughs> I know, I'm like, I can't... Yeah, the hand. Can't do this right now. Can't. And he goes. He leaves her. And then he's got time to think. The worst time. The absolute worst time. Pleading with God. Trying to make sense of all of this. Lord, help me make sense of this. And I know that most of us have been there at some part in our lives. Lord, help me make sense of this news that I've just received that does not make sense. I can picture him going back to the house that he's probably building for his new wife. The dream is over. He's had the dream. He's already built the the picket fence. He can already hear the kids running around playing. That dream is over. He then makes a decision. And his decision is that he's going to end the engagement. You need to understand that at that time, there's this beautiful word called betrothal. And at that time in history, when you got engaged, 
when Mary was pledged to Joseph. And what that means is they actually already are in a covenantal relationship. So to break the engagement is like going through a divorce. In this day and age, it seems a little bit more whimsical. And I don't mean to make light of it, but breaking the engagement is less serious than going through an entire divorce. In those days, breaking the engagement was equal to divorce. As an upright, just man, and as a man who still loves this girl, he decides he's going to do it quietly so not to shame her. He then goes to sleep because I'm sure by that time he is finished. If you've ever been through something like that, grief is very, very tiring. And he falls asleep. He probably just doesn't even eat. And in that sleep, things change drastically. And his mind is changed by God. I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to talk to you in a second about that. The reason why I want to describe a story like that, because it it could have happened differently, but it's really important when we read the Word of God to understand that the people involved were very, very normal people, just like you and I. They were regular Joes. Just call me Joe. He was a very, very normal man who was going through something that most of us go through at some point in our lives. And it's important to understand that just because it's in the Bible doesn't now mean that we can't relate to it because these are very, very real things that we will go through. So I'm going to do three points this morning. So we've had a bit of history, we've read the Word of God, we've looked at a scenario, and now we're going to land this with three points. Why three points? Because that's what Gabe does. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it is, so we'll, we'll stick with that, with that format. So our first point this morning, and this is exciting, guys. God is not silent. See, the, the scholars call those 400 years, 400 years of silence. The truth of the matter is, God just changed the way in which he communicates. See, at the end of the Old Testament, God's primary way of communicating with his people was through the prophets. He would download some information to the prophets, and they would go off to the people, and they would give them something. Usually it wasn't very pleasant. Piece of information from God. But God was at work. You see, during those 400 years, God didn't go anywhere. He hadn't left. He hadn't deserted his people. He was outworking his plan. And he was busy maneuvering the pieces because for Jesus to enter into this world, things had to be perfect. Things, all the pieces had to be in place. And the world had to be the way God needed it to be. God had not deserted man. He just changed the way he communicates. Those 400 years, God now needed prophecy to be fulfilled. So we have the prophecy of the Old Testament, and now we start seeing the prophecies being fulfilled, and probably the most important prophecy ever, the prophecy of the Messiah and how he was to be born into this world that was about to take place. You may feel this morning that God is silent, and I just want to encourage you this morning. You may feel that he's taking you through a desert place. You may feel, Lord, where are you? 
I'm going through the mill and I don't hear you. I want to encourage you this morning that God has not left and he is not silent this morning. The truth is he may be preparing you. And sometimes we need to go through difficult times. We need to go through some deserts because often during the good times we collect a lot of baggage. And he may be preparing you for something bigger, something more. So do not fear if you are going through difficult times. The other encouragement this morning is God has given us amazing tools. You see, the people during those 400 years were lost. They, number one, did not have the word of God. Yeah, we are now in a position of history where God has given us his word. From beginning to end, we have it all. His primary way of speaking to us now is through his word. I want to encourage you to not stop reading the word of God. We have the privilege of where we stand today. Jesus has come, he is born, he has been crucified and he has risen again and his blood has washed away our sins. You know what one of the most beautiful things that Jesus says is he says, I've come to make a way to the Father. I've come to give you direct access to the Father. People of the Old Testament did not have direct access. You sitting here this morning, you are privileged this morning. You have direct access to the Father. You can pray, and your prayer goes directly to the Father. You are sitting here this morning, your sin does not disqualify you. Your sin is gone. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. You have direct access. You are in a very, very privileged place. I want to add in the church here. He has given us the church. As imperfect as she may be, and I really appreciated that, um, that uh, contribution this morning. The church isn't perfect, but he is purifying her. Jesus is making her perfect. So that when he comes, we will be perfect. We will be like him. And I want to encourage you that the church exists so that when we are going through those desert places, when we are going through times that feel like that God is silent, we're in the church. Yeah? There are times that God will speak to you through some of the people here. Do not discount the church. And lastly, and this might sound strange, but he has given us the lost. He has mandated us to go and make disciples. He has mandated us to go and tell those who do not know Jesus about him. And if there's a, I do not know a better way of hearing from Jesus than when I am going out and I am telling the lost about him. The best way to hear from God. You may feel like you're in a dark place, but take heart because the Word of God says that God is with you. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. Now, there are two beautiful things that happens when Jesus, when God communicates, when He talks to us. And we actually see it in this piece of Scripture. When the angel appears to Joseph in his dream, he does two things. The first thing he does is he says, Joseph, by the way, Joseph's father is a guy by the name of Jacob. He doesn't say Joseph, son of Jacob. He says Joseph, son of David. In that moment, when he greets Joseph, what does he do? He establishes his identity. In one moment. In one moment, he reminds Joseph of who he is. He's an heir to a throne. 
He is a descendant of David. That line is also there to tear him up because he's about to tell him that you are about to become the father of the Messiah and the Messiah is the heir to David's throne. So when God speaks to us, when we allow him in, the first thing he wants to do is establish your identity as a son and a daughter of the Most High. If you're sitting here this morning and you, are, you feel like you're lost, I want to encourage you this morning, God wants to establish and settle your identity. We cannot move forward until that identity is settled in him. In the first chapter of Luke, we actually read the account of when the angel Gabriel visits Mary and when he speaks to her, he does exactly the same thing. He appears before Mary, and this time in the flesh, and I can imagine that's a scary thing, the angel says to her, Greetings, O favored one. He says, Do not fear because you have found favor with God. And I can imagine this young girl in a difficult time where women in those days weren't really favored. Women were, became wives and mothers and kept the home. And he meets her and he speaks destiny into her life and settles her identity. Greetings, O favored one. And then he settles her fears and tells her, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. I want to encourage you this morning. God wants to settle your identity and he wants to speak to your fears. Only he can make those fears disappear this morning. So that was the first point. God is not silent. The fine print, he may be preparing you for something more. But he is not silent and I want to encourage you this morning to seek him. Our second point this morning, good decisions are not always God decisions. You see, when Joseph heard the news that Mary was pregnant, he kind of, he, he gathered all the facts. And I kind of saw myself in this because that's kind of how I do things. I process the facts. You know, I need to make a decision while Give me all the facts, what are the pros, what are the cons, all that stuff. I might even put it into a spreadsheet and weigh it up. He takes everything into account and then he processes this with a heart of integrity. He was a good man, he was a just man, and he came to the decision that he needed to end the engagement. The challenge is, for Joe, that was the wrong decision. It was not a God decision. It was a good one based on the information at hand and at face value, but it was not a God decision. God does not spare us from difficult decisions. When I read this thing, I kind of thought, you know what, God, why didn't you, when you send your angel to go speak to Mary... Just give him the instruction. Just say, listen, go speak to Mary. Tell her what's going on. And then obviously, because you know angels, they're like, they're here now, and then they're like, a second later, they're there. So like, just do your angelic thing, and then quickly hop over, go to Joseph, and tell him what's going on. So that he's also in the know, and just kind of spare him the angst, the stress, the pain 
of having to hear that he's engaged to be wife is pregnant. He doesn't do that. He lets him go through the process. He lets him hear these things from her and allows him to process them. It was painful. He had to go through the process. But God in his mercy and in his grace appears to Joseph and tells him what's going on. When Joseph woke from that dream, the truth of the matter is he still had to make a decision. God did not make his mind up for him. He now presented him with more information. A visit from an angel in a dream is usually going to seal the deal. But he could have still made the wrong decision. He could have still gone the other way. God does not spare us from wrong decisions. Even when those wrong decisions were made with the best intentions, with hearts of integrity, God has his purposes in all of these things. He is asking us to be a people who would learn, a people who would open our hearts, a people to be a people of humility, who would be open to the correcting of God. See, God had to appear to Joseph in a dream and correct his decision. Are you open this morning? Are you allowing God to speak to you to change your good decisions to God decisions? You know what's so cool is that the name of Joseph, it means may Jehovah add or give increase. Which, when you read the book of Joseph, about Joseph in the Old Testament, that like, it's very easy to understand that meaning. But in this context, yeah, I love it. You see, Joseph had to make the God decision so that increase would come. Because the Messiah coming as, as the prophets foretold, that's all about giving and that's all about increase. Joseph had to make the decision, is he going to be a part of that process or not? My pledge, my, my, rather my, my request this morning is open up your hearts, allow God to work in them so that our good decisions become God decisions. God wants to give, he wants to add, he wants to increase. We can only do that, do that well, that's only a, that can only happen in our lives when we allow him to rule and to reign. My last point this morning, I um, struggled over the title of this point, but I kind of settled on this one because I felt God speaking to me and speaking to the men in the room. So ladies, I'm not ignoring you on this point, but I'm speaking mostly to the men. Be a man that God picks. How is it that Joseph got the job of being Jesus' father on earth? What were the criteria that he had to meet in order to get that fantastic position? You see, in my mind... You need to be a super dad. They're like the top 1% of dads. You see them every now and then. They're like, they're in their 40s. They are ripped. They are tanned. They can do every sport under, I'm speaking about you, Brett. Uh, They can do (laughs) every sport under the sun. They lead companies. They cook. They they can, they just do every, they are super dads. And the rest of us kind of look at them and, you know, kind of feel a little incompetent at times. That's not the guy that Jesus picked to be the father of Jesus. 
You know, I would have said he's got to, he's got to be powerful. He's got to be influential. Maybe he's got to have some money. None of those things. There were essentially two requirements for Joseph. In order to be the father of Jesus on planet Earth, the first requirement was he had to be a descendant of David. And you go read it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where the prophet Nathan talks about the throne of David and how this throne will last forever and how this kingdom will never end. It was very important that the father of Jesus on planet Earth was a descendant of David. The angel says to him, reminds him, Joseph, son of David. The descendancy was important. The second one is for us. Us men this morning, and you ladies. Don't want to forget you. Joseph had to be a man who could follow direction. He had to be a man who would faithfully obey the instructions of God. Because if he hadn't, this hadn't, wouldn't have worked out. First of all, if he hadn't obeyed instruction, if he hadn't taken instruction and correction from God, he would have broken the engagement and we would have had a challenge. Just after Jesus is born, that Herod, that King Herod I spoke about earlier, the wrong king, in his insecurity, goes on a killing spree and starts killing all the, all the children between the ages of zero and two. Joseph gets instruction from God to leave Israel. If he was not a man who followed instruction and made faithful, obedient decisions in an instant, we would have been in trouble. The prophecy would not have been fulfilled. God needed a man who would take direction. We struggle as men to take direction. I'm pretty good with maps and stuff. I usually don't ask for direction. <laughs> I believe God's speaking to us as men this morning. Would you be a man that God will pick to advance his kingdom? He's not longing for men that are supermen and super dads and all that stuff. It's great if you are, and we do need some of you. He's looking for men who will be faithfully obedient to his call, to his instruction, to his correction. So as we land this morning, I'm going to ask, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask who of you need prayer in that space. I'm just going to ask all men to stand. I'm going to make it easy for you. So the guys are going to stand. The ladies, you're also kind of standing, but you're not sitting down. Because I feel like I can safely say that each one of us here this morning have at times received direction from God, correcting from God, and he's needed an instant response. He needed a faithful, obedient response, and we have not responded accordingly. I know I've been there. Stella just got a call. I know I've been there. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to be a man. I want to be a Joseph. I want to be a man that God picks. He says, you meet 
the criteria that I need to be a man who advances my kingdom. And it's very simple. I need you to be faithfully obedient. Can we pray this morning? Cool. God, thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that you had the perfect plan for the salvation of this world, for the redemption of every one of us, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are no longer silent. Thank you that you were never silent. Thank you that you never left us, that you will not forsake us, God. Thank you for the word that you have given us. Thank you for the promises in your word. This morning, Lord, I thank you for every single man standing here this morning. You know their hearts. I don't need to guess. You know. And that's all that matters. But I know, Lord, that your word, and in the story we see a man, a very, very normal man, going through pain, going through a situation that potentially some of us have been through. You weren't asking for a man, Lord, that had it all together. You weren't even asking for a man who necessarily made the right decision the first time. But you were asking for a man that when he received direction and correcting from you, he responded. Lord, this morning, I believe that we as men standing here want to be men who react to your call, who react to your correcting, who react to your nudging. We don't want to be men, Lord, that sit on things. We don't want to be men that, I'll use the silly phrase, that dilly-dally. We want to be men of action. We want to be men of faithful obedience this morning, God. We worship you this morning, Lord. Say thank you for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for your church. Thank you, Jesus, that you are on the move. Thank you for Mullerton, Lord. Thank you that you have put these people here at this time for this community. Thank you, Lord, that there is so much more in store. Lord, that we are Josephs, that you have said, I, need, I want to add and I want to increase through you. Thank you for each one of these men, Lord God, that will make decisive, faithful, obedient decisions for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. I'm going to ask, if you are sitting here this morning, if, you, if you're here, maybe you're standing, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never allowed Jesus into your heart, into your life, allowing him to settle that thing of identity, allowing him to speak to those fears, I just want to would you come see me after the service? I'd love to talk. I'd love to pray.